Support for Waveform comes from Anthropic. So looking for an AI solution for a business, it might be time to check out the Claude 3 family from Anthropic, your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. So whether you're powering a customer chat experience or doing complex R&D or need advanced analysis, Anthropic can help provide you with frontier intelligence. So if you're looking for speed, power, or anything in between, the Claude 3 family offers AI models for a variety of tasks and budgets. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, what's going on, people of the internet? Welcome back to another fun episode of the Waveform Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Marquez. And I'm Andrew. And this week, we actually have a guest that we're going to bring on in a second that I have a pretty fun conversation with fellow YouTuber, Zach, a.k.a. Jerry Rig Everything. I think some people think his name is Jerry, so I yes, want to make that clear. Sure. Zach, a.k.a. Jerry Rig Everything. Um, fellow tech YouTuber, I've loved his channel for a long time. You've watched his videos, of right? Of course. Yeah, we, <laughs> Who hasn't? I feel like we kind of all have seen a lot of them, including some of the more famous ones where he snaps an iPad in half, he's got some deeper grooves at a level seven I'll always on. remember the um the legion duo two right where snapped clean twice half. in two places yeah yeah that some was fun awesome. some fun moments i got to ask him a lot of stuff that i've been sort of wondering about i think this is the, the fun part about inter interviewing creators is inevitably we have a lot in common in some areas of our workflows or our topics or our interests so we talked about how we got into being a, a tech person but also a lot of the projects he's working on i'm fascinated i hope you asked this i've always wanted to know whenever we get a review unit in the embargo it says like you cannot purposely damage it. okay <laughs> i literally asked him about that Perfect. and he had a, a great answer and it's sort of examples to go along with it wait. so that's really fun uh i talked to him about the the wheelchair project he's working on sort of building a little company over there uh and also the electric vehicle that he's built by himself and how that project came to be awesome there's, there's a lot going on over there at Jerry Everything headquarters, which turns out to be uh, several buildings all on one property that he can sort of move back and forth in between and make his stuff. That's so amazing. It's a good time. It's a fun lesson. It's great for this week. So without any further ado, let's roll the interview. All right, Zach, thank you for joining me. Welcome to the Waveform Podcast. Uh, good to have you. Happy to be here. So it's uh, it's the middle of September right now. There's a lot going on. Uh, I feel like we both have very different versions of a lot going on at this point in the year. Um, but I just I just wanted to jump in with like the, the sort of intro that you give, like when you have to explain to someone what you do who doesn't know. Do you have like a quick elevator speech version or a, a succinct thing you explain to family at the Thanksgiving table or something like that? If I, the super short version is just, I review technology from the inside um, and that encompasses a, a portion of what I do, you know, taking things apart, seeing how they work, how they're put together, how they're manufactured, 
um, that's kind of what I enjoy doing and what I enjoy showing off. I feel like that's one of those things that you hear it and the natural follow-up question is like, oh, have you always been into like working with your hands or like taking things apart, that sort of thing? I imagine it's probably a yes. Yeah. I mean, one of my earliest memories, um, and this is super illegal now, but when I was a little kid, um, there weren't as many laws into like which seat you should be sitting in and like which car seat you should be in and stuff. And so I would sit in the passenger seat next to my mom, but I would sit upside down with my head underneath the dashboard so I could look up and see all the wires behind the dashboard, like next to the glove compartments. Yeah. And like, she would just drive around and I'd be upside down with my head in the dash just so I could pretend like I knew what was going on. Sounds weird, but it was super interesting to me at the time. That is like a thanks in hindsight, mom, but also what were you thinking, mom? But thanks, mom. Like, you know, right? it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's my seatbelt at, you know, there's no way to be close to being on at that point. Don't try this at home now or in your car now, kids, if you're if you're listening. Um, Okay, what is the story? What's the story behind the name? I I think you probably have the this sort of like people don't know if your name is Jerry or not happening. Um, I wonder where Jerry Rig everything came from. It, It makes intuitive sense to me, but maybe you have like a story behind coming up with it. Yeah. So most of the time, like when someone recognizes me on the street, you know, at a restaurant or at the store or something like that, they'll be like, Hey, you're the, you're Jerry. Right. And I'll just, just kind of roll with it. Um, but my name is actually Zach. Yeah. Um, the Jerry rig, everything came from, um, I was, when I originally started YouTube, my channel name was green dew ocean because I really liked mountain dew at the time, nice. but I realized as I had, you know, a couple thousand subscribers that, you know, YouTube could actually be like a viable job. And like, I would have to come up with a light, a slightly more memorable and reputable name, I guess. Um, and so I was laying in bed one night at like 2am when most of my good ideas come. And I realized that, um, you know, my channel and kind of like the theme of what I do is, you know, jerry rigging stuff. And jerry rig is also the name of my grandpa who is kind of like one of the people I really look up to. Um, you know, when he first got married, he lived in the back of a gas station. And then when he died, he, you know, was a very, very successful businessman, had a bunch of houses. And it was just a really cool, he's someone I look up to a lot. And so Jerry Rig is both a combination of the phrase Jerry Rig, as well as kind of like a way to remember uh, my grandpa, Jerry. That is pretty cool. I, I know now... I think I, when I first was watching your videos, I was like, oh, yeah, Jerry. I definitely thought that that was your name. So I'm glad that that's much more clear. Well, is that your current account, though? You had that name for your current account that you changed to Jerry everything? So back then, so I think I've been doing YouTube for like nine or ten years. Back then, you couldn't change your name. You had to just delete your account, start over. And so you'll notice if you go back to my first videos, there's like 40 of them that are kind of all uploaded on the same day or the same week. And that's because I deleted my old account and uploaded all the videos to a new account with the correct name. Now YouTube is way more, you know, you can change your name whenever you want. Wow. So So you had like a moment where you were like, oh, I'm going to be doing this YouTube thing to a degree where I want to be proud of the name of it. I think I should make that conscious decision. When in your life cycle of a YouTuber was that exactly? It was so like when I first started uploading videos, I kind of just wanted to do it um, just as kind of like a video journal of all my different projects. You know, I used YouTube um, for a lot of things and I just kind of want to like contribute back to that 
um, that platform. Um, and one of the ways I was using it is I was, my Jeep at the time broke down. And so I got on YouTube and I found someone with the exact same problem I had. And instead of taking it to a shop to fix it for a thousand bucks, this guy could fix it for 80 by himself. And so I messaged him and I was like, you know, your video was so helpful to me and saved me so much money. Like, why do you do this? And he said, it's because, um, I want to decrease world suck, help people out. And at the same time, you know, YouTube pays me a little bit of money. And so that was kind of like what got me going on the platform. And I kind of, you know, I filmed my, my automotive projects, motorcycle projects. And then I realized it was a conscious decision that if I wanted to grow my audience past, you know, the small circle of people interested in automotive repairs, I would have to expand the type of content I made into phone teardowns and then durability tests and then into EVs and then building my own EV and then accessibility and just kind of grow it out from there. Each kind of chapter of my channel is a conscious growth decision, I guess. Yeah. I feel like a, a lot of the same, a lot of the same stuff I've done where like you have a core topic that you start off with, but you, you have more interests and you're able to sort of loop them in because they work with the, the theme and you're good at it, obviously. Like I, I watch you tear apart a, apart a phone sometimes and I just sort of like me mesmerized a little bit. I like, Oh, that's kind of awesome that you just sort of know right off the top of your head. Also, do you know right off the top of your head? Like you open a phone you, you know where all the ribbon cables are supposed to be when you put it back together. You, you've done this many times. Does it ever go wrong? Like, how long did it take you to get good at taking apart phones? I would say most phones that I take apart, I have one or two screws left over afterwards. Nice. So I would not say I'm like <laughs> okay. the most professional at putting them back together again. Although, um, when does this podcast go up? Uh, in relation let's call it today? a week and a half week and a half. Okay, cool. So by the time this podcast goes up, I will have already um, done the fold four teardown. Oh, the flip four teardown. Yeah. And I actually took that completely apart screen off and everything and put it back together. So I, I'm very impressed with yeah. the build quality of that. I am also I mean, that seems like probably one of the harder ones to take apart and put back together. I haven't actually taken apart. Yeah. Well, okay, this is the question I was going to ask you. This is something that's been on my mind for a while. When you, when I get a review unit of a phone, there's a very specific set of things that you're allowed to do with it and not allowed to do with it. And at the top of the list, every time is like, you can't take it apart. You can't durability <laughs> test it. You can't break it. You can't do any of the stuff that Zach does to the phone. So don't even think about it. Yeah. So I see all that. I'm like, all right, Zach. So you, you spend the extra time. You probably buy it from the manufacturer. You do what you got to do. But is there a difference in the way you work with some manufacturers, are there some that are cool with sending you something knowing that you're going to take it apart? Yeah. I mean, I've always been super, super upfront. Like there's been several times where a company has reached out to me and been like, Hey, um, you know, can we send you a review unit? And I'm like, do you know who I am and what I do to phones? And then they're like, Oh yeah, never mind. We're all out of review units. <laughs> Dang. And so that's happened several times. Wow. Um, but I mean, there has been companies that have been okay with it. Like, you know, nothing sent me their phone knowing what I was going to do to it. OnePlus sent me their phone knowing what I was going to do to it. Um, and, you know, that's super, and like I've been straight up front, like, you know, there's no special favors or anything like that, mm -hmm. um, even though I get the phone. And, you know, that has kind of come back to buy it OnePlus a little bit. But No, those are, I was going to say, those are literally the two companies I would have thought of, of who would be cool yeah. with getting you a device, knowing what might happen but being fine with it um 
Okay, have you been have you been surprised by any durability test results? I mean, you squeeze an iPad, it breaks in half. That's kind of nuts. I'm imagining your your face off camera is a little bit wide eyed when that happens. But have you been impressed by something passing or super shocked by a, by a failure? Um, I would say the one that comes to mind first of all is just the folding phones. Like I seriously thought that they would be able to be snapped in half. You know, every single time I grab one, I'm like, yeah, this can definitely break, but then it doesn't. Yeah, and so that's just nuts to me. Yeah, bending it backwards seems like it should just snap right in half, but they do survive right. with impressive with impressive consistency. That's pretty sick. You've seen the uh, the Apple Watch Ultra. I have. Do you expect that to fare any differently, or do you do you even want to test a watch like that? I do. I mean, I've done watches in the past. I do want to check their Sapphire, and I think it'd be fun to test it up against um, Google's new. Or was it Samsung that just came out with a Sapphire watch? One of them just came yeah. out with one. And so in the past, Apple has been using kind of like a subpar in pure Sapphire. And I want to see if they've continued that and to see if um, Samsung has the same supplier of yeah. Sapphire as Apple does. Yeah. Has there ever been a deeper grooves at a different level than we typically see? I, I've watched probably 50 or 60 videos and it's always... Scratches at a level six, deeper grooves at a level seven. Is that every time? Got it. Um, except for HTC had a Sapphire phone that came out a while back. Um, Duraforce, um, Kyocera Duraforce Ultra is a Sapphire phone as well. So there are a couple Sapphire phones out there. And then Apple has a Sapphire watch with the same Sapphire as their camera lenses. Oh. So. And those get all the way to nine? No, Apple Sapphire is a level six still, even oh. though... Um, they say it's sapphire, but if you look at like a Tissot watch, which is actual sapphire, those are level eight with deeper grooves, level nine. Okay. Or seven and eight. I can't remember. Which one. Yeah, that's interesting. I want because there's like a obviously it's built to like su- sustain drops and all sorts of other weird things. You might hit it up against a rock or something, but it's just it's it's always fascinating watching the tests that you get to do. Um, okay, what is this is from one YouTube, one YouTuber to another. What is your workflow like? You get a new idea or a device for a video. Walk me through like the steps that you go through to make a Jerry Rig Everything video. Oh, man. I mean, I've been doing this for so long, and you've been doing this for so long. Like Your, your flow has probably changed quite a bit over the years. Yeah. Um, back when I was in college... Um, when I think I was around, like when I was hitting like one or 2 million subscribers, um, my bed was in one corner of the room. My computer setup was in the other corner of the room and my phone teardown setup was next to my computer. It's like, I could literally wake up in the morning, do a teardown, edit all day and go back to sleep all in the same room. Yep. Um, and that workflow was, was pretty tight. Um, then obviously I kind of, you know, expanded, um, got my own warehouse. Um, and then I kind of branched out into other projects as well. I would say currently I try to do like two videos a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and my team, I have a bunch of people with the not a wheelchair side of things, which maybe we can get to later. Um, but my core like Jerry rig team is just me and one of my buddies from high school who's my editor. And he's been living, he's been doing the job for the last six or seven years. Wow. And he just, he lives in Texas and does everything remote. Um, but he's been a super time saver for me. Yeah. 
yeah, I was going to say my, my college setup reminds me a lot of what you just described. It was like a bed on one wall and a desk on the other wall and then a computer under the desk and you just roll out of bed and just shoot and then roll back into bed. <laughs> that was the whole thing. Yep. Um, no, I didn't, I didn't know you, you had a, a team for the channel or at least a, a second person helping you edit. So you send them footage, I imagine, and they, they just send you back the finished thing. Yeah. And he handles all the Facebook stuff. Um, personally, I, I really like, um, Twitter and Instagram. Um, those are the two that I, you know, kind of contribute myself to. Um, but my editor handles Facebook because I, that platform is not my favorite. Yes. And so I've realized that the Facebook audience is completely different than the YouTube audience. Um, and I can post the same video on both platforms and no one ever cares. Yeah, so. we have a lot in common. I, I also don't spend too much time on Facebook, but have also been convinced of the the lack of overlap. And so figured might as well have that post in some way, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I do talk a lot about EVs on the Waveform podcast, like just just car stuff in general. I don't know. I've gotten into it a lot in the past few years, and I've noticed you also getting into EVs and a lot of the cooler projects, or one project in particular, seems to be going pretty well. <laughs> First, I'll ask you about the Rivian, because uh, we both have this electric truck. How how do you like it so far? You've You've gone quite a few more miles than I have, but anything break yet? Um, I think I'm right at 5,000 miles, um, and I've had it for like six months or seven months, give or take. Um, the only thing that's still broken is the tonneau cover. Um, yeah. And Rivian reached out and said, you know, hey, we'll totally fix that under warranty. I just haven't had time to go in and get that fixed yet. Um, and then I have two rock chips in my windshield you know, that are cracked all the way across. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. One thing with the truck, though, and I've been trying to put this into words, um, like... When I had my Tacoma, I felt like attached to it. Like I put the lift on, I put the winch on, and like when I would park it in a parking lot and walk away and turn back and be like, yeah, that's my truck. And like I felt like attached to it. Yeah. With the Rivian, I was like super, super, super looking forward to getting it. But now that I have it, and it's been like six months, that attachment isn't the same as it used to be. And I'm trying to figure out why. And I think it might be because of the way that it looks because like it has more power and more ability than almost any other truck on the road, yeah. but it looks like docile. Like <laughs> it's almost like, it's almost like a serial killer, you know, like you see a serial killer and they're like, yeah, they're, you would never know they're a serial killer, but underneath they're just like this, this evil thing. And like the Rivian, you would never expect it to be the most like bad a hardcore truck on the road but it is and i think it's just the looks are throwing me off after yeah. having owned it for six months okay i have a suggestion that i kind of think might work and this is kind of the way i felt about tesla at the beginning you just you just described like working with your truck before you do some customization to it you kind of you get your hands dirty a little bit maybe do something to make it feel different from all the other rivians so you could you know get that that wrap going get a ppf get maybe some just it could even be small things just the, the door handles or like the, the the lights or something just to make it a little bit your own because that's when i first started looking back at it in the, in the parking lot like oh yeah that's nice i did that <laughs> you know yeah your rep is sick 
I like yeah. your rap. Oh, thank you. Would you would you trade the Rivian for? I was gonna ask like, did you consider any other EVs? But I imagine the the Rivian was pretty high on the list. It wasn't really there wasn't really any competition when it came out as far as trucks you could buy. But if if like a Tacoma EV or another nice one came out today, would you would you consider cross shopping any other stuff? For sure. Um, I would say like it would have to be semi comparable. And I do like the smaller trucks. You know, like the Cybertruck is massive, and yeah. the Ford F one fifty is still pretty big. Um, so the only other one I would like legitimately consider is probably like a Tacoma or like another mid-sized truck that came out with an EV. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, I, I'm not emotionally, I'm, there's no attachment to Rivian that's going to be like, this is my truck for life. Fair, fair. Yeah. I so. mean, I, I, when I decided to place the order of the Rivian, it was right after we'd used an F-150 Lightning for a video shoot. And it was like, dang, I... I really, this worked extremely well. Let's just get a smaller version of that. And so that's basically what it is. It's like the only option I could buy that yeah. actually fit those requirements. Um, but you also... And did, I, did, I hear you, I hear, did I hear you right in one of your videos, you were like, you have a camera rig on top of a car and you just leave it there permanently. So yeah, you have a... Uh, MKBHD production car with a crane on the top permanently. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. So, <laughs> so we did, we we did that build, and that was that was a motor crane build, and that's a super awesome rig. Yes, built on top of a car. Uh, the problem with that rig, not that it's a big problem, but it's like you can't just go out into the streets and just start shooting with it wherever. Like you can't drive through a neighborhood or drive down the highway without not only people staring at it, but like probably getting pulled over and asked for your permit and things like that. Uh, so we really have reserved that for like track use, closed roads, things like that. And we can get the craziest shots we want when we do those occasional videos. But we had the F-150 Lightning for a week and Ford actually gave us two. And I was like, I don't, you know, they gave us two different trims. I didn't really have much to do with two at the same time. But the idea we had was to shoot some some rolling shots with this rig on the tow hitch of the F-150 with the other F-150 because it was the only vehicles we have here with the tow hitch. So that is what we did. And we rolled around for, I think we shot basically two full days and nobody even blinked. Nobody even batted an eye. It was just like another truck driving by and it's quiet too. It's even less high profile than a normal truck. And yeah. So that was kind of a no brainer where it was like, yeah, if we, if we actually want shots on real roads, in neighborhoods around town, like wherever a normal vehicle drives, um, you need to be as low profile as possible. And a silent pickup truck with a tiny little camera rig on the back that nobody even blinks at is that. So that was a kind of uh, a breakthrough for our, our little workflow there. Does it have like a controllable like camera tilt and pan and all that stuff on the hitch? Yeah, yeah. So it's a remote controlled Ronin, basically. If you flip a Ronin and put it on a shock mount, you do have the ability to use the motors in the Ronin to spin it around and point it at stuff. So it's fully articulating remotely. So someone's in the back of the truck controlling everything. And that's back seat or back bed of the truck? Uh whatever they prefer. I think they prefer the back seat cool. <laughs> with a seat belt. But it's also Probably. it's nice to be able to look backwards so that you're not like reversing all the axes in your head. So right. sometimes they like spin around in the back seat. But yeah, it, it's it's worked pretty well. I was just gonna ask, um, since you were talking about um, getting pulled over and permits and stuff like that with the other camera rig, have you ever gotten in trouble flying a drone or filming on public roads with that setup? 
Not in trouble. Um, the closest we got was we, we went and did some scouting for a sort of a local park. Not, not a national park, but a park that we wanted to shoot in that had some nice looking roads. Completely empty on a beautiful day in you know spring. Drive up one morning. Empty, massive parking lot. Acres and acres of land. And on the horizon, you see a little parks mobile or whatever. And you're like, ah, oh, whatever. They're not going to bother us. And before we even finish setting up the camera to start getting our first shots, they've driven all the way over to come investigate what's going on in their parking lot. So, hmm. you know, it's it's clearly an, it's an eye catcher. It's one of those things where you drive it around and you see everyone look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, clearly this would not work on a regular basis. Yeah, that's like Hollywood level equipment on that thing. So it is. It's super capable. It's also terrifyingly capable. Like if you mess up, you know, that's a big metal arm swinging around on the top of a car. So you got to be really locked in with that for sure. All right. That's a perfect spot for a quick break. But we'll be right back with Zach. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Support for Waveform comes from Coda. So it can be tough to stay organized when your team is spread across time zones. With Coda, you can help keep your whole team on the same page with an all-in-one collaborative workspace that brings together the best of documents, spreadsheets, and apps into one platform. That means less time ping-ponging between different tabs and tools and more time on your projects. So with Coda's extensive planning capabilities, you can stay aligned when managing planning cycles and while measuring objectives and key results. Plus, you can access hundreds of templates and get inspired by others in Coda's gallery. So over 50,000 teams across the world collaborate with Coda, from the New York Times to Square, uh, from Toast to TED and Uber. So if you want a platform that enables and empowers your team to collaborate effectively and focus on shared goals, you can get started with Coda today for free. You can head over to coda.io slash wave. So that's coda, C-O-D-A dot I-O slash wave to get started for free. Coda.io forward slash wave. So so you have the Rivian, but you've also been building an EV. I've never been able to say that to anyone. You've been building an electric Hummer. Uh, why Why a Hummer? Why an electric Hummer? Why build it yourself? Please explain. <laughs> um, so several things. Um, one is I've always thought the Hummers were just super, super cool. Um, but I would never actually 
I think they're super, super cool, but also like the other half of me is like, you know, EVs 24 seven. And so like, I wanted to combine like the worst gas mileage, you know, hardcore vehicle and like make it into what I'm all about these days, which is like EV and like, you know, being nice to the environment and all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, that's why I chose the Hummer and I thought it would just be like a super, super fun project to teach myself about electricity, but also to kind of like show people that, you know, electric vehicles aren't golf carts anymore. Like they are, they are insanely powerful, capable machines. And kind of the only way to reach the demographic who thinks they're still golf carts is to take something that that demographic likes and turn it into an EV. And I think, you know, that series of videos I think it did a pretty good job of like reaching that demographic or that group of people. I agree. Uh, it was really fun. It's an interesting strategy. Like the, we'll talk about the actual Hummer EV in a second, but like that, well, I'll, actually I'll just go straight to the, the, there is a real Hummer EV now. Like they made a new one and it's, it's a 9,000 pound, just terrifyingly fast rocket of a, of a truck. It's weird that it exists. But it is funny because now people who only cared about Hummers kind of are forced to be at least a little bit interested in an electric vehicle, which is fascinating. Yeah. Um, but this is also like way more complicated than taking apart a Z Flip and putting it back together. Uh, I imagine there were some doubts along the way, some roadblocks. Did you ever not think you'd be able to finish it or would you? were you just going to do as much as possible no matter what? Shoot. Well, once, so I was probably like six or seven videos in before I posted anything, you know, like I would just film the video, edit it, save it, mm. not post it anywhere. Just, I wanted to wait until I knew that I could do it. That way you don't have like a million people being like, ah, you failed, you suck, you know? Cause like that, even though like creators say that comments don't bother them, you know, but like when you have that many people, you just, yeah. I wanted to know that I could do it before I posted anything. Right. So right. I waited. So that was never a doubt. And at the same time, like it was not a cheap project. And so I'm in it, not quite six figures, but also not quite any less than six figures. And so it's like, I also couldn't quit because of that part of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can't throw that much money at something and then just not finish it. Right. So the sunken cost. Yeah. It, and all it the probably time. would have almost been cheaper. It almost would have been cheaper just to buy the real Hummer EV instead of making your own. Well, that. the thing about the real Hummer EV is they've made so few of them that they are like marked up to double MSRP or something ridiculous because you just can't get one anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I talked to somebody who when had a reservation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I talked to someone who had a reservation for one. It was like a hundred grand or something, and they were like, "Yeah, I could." I think they flipped it for two something. It's like insanely hard to get, which is crazy. But it's also like, wow, there's a real human out there who loves the Hummer so much that they would pay a quarter of a million dollars for the electric one. Who are these people? <laughs> like, what do you? What is the normal person watching the Hummer EV series? You think? Um, like what kind of person is the normal person watching it? Yeah. Is there, is there a, it's probably a very different demographic than the phone teardowns. Probably. I had, so when we bought my new warehouse, um, in Orem for the, not a wheelchair project, 
um, we needed a forklift um, to get a giant box out of a semi, and my forklift wasn't big enough for it. And so we went to the automotive store right next to us. And as soon as I walked up, the guy was like, whoa, you're Jerry Rig everything. And he was like probably 55, 60 years old, not one of the tech people, you know, not a tech you demographic type person. Right. Um, but he had been watching my Hummer videos. And because he knew who I was, he came over with his forklift and helped us unload the semi. Um, but yeah, hmm. definitely a different group of people watching that series. That's awesome. What is the... What is the typical interaction between you and your viewers in real life look like? Because I know I know what mine is. 95% of them are, they pull a phone out of their pocket and hold it up and they're like, I got this because of your video. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, okay, I hope you like it. Um, what, <laughs> that's definitely not, I assume it's not the same for yours. Are they, are they disassembling things, fixing things? No, I mean... Most honestly, like when we go to take a selfie, I would say probably like almost, I would say maybe like eight out of 10 times I go outside, like someone recognize me if I'm, a, especially if I'm at like Home Depot or something. I got recognized three times at Home Depot um, <laughs> the last time I went like a few weeks ago, which I love, like, don't get me wrong. Like if anyone ever meets me in real life, come say hi. Like, I love that. Mm -hmm. um, but usually when someone pulls out their phone for a selfie, it's an iPhone. So you know that they're not going off of my recommendations for phones. Interesting. Um, I think they just like watching, I don't know, maybe the entertainment value or something. Like they watch it because they're interested in the tech, not necessarily because of what I tell them to get. Right. There is definitely a, a good amount of that. I can see that in the comments. Sometimes people are like, I, I wasn't really going to buy any of what you were talking about, but I just kind of like watching the videos, which is cool too. I like that. Um, but you know, I feel like yeah. a, a part of watching your videos is like almost this advocacy for right to repair. And then it's kind of interesting seeing, you know, the part that activates on that. And then the other part, which is just sort of passively watching like, oh yeah, it kind of would be cool if I could repair this iPhone and then just gets another iPhone the next year. <laughs> Damn, that's fun. I really like making the videos. Um, lately my, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm like nine, I think I have like 950 videos or something that I've made. Um, and I still enjoy the whole process, but I'm really, really enjoying um, having a whole kind of like warehouse dedicated to accessibility and like making off-road wheelchairs and stuff. And like, I see that becoming a much bigger part of my channel going forward, not stopping where I've been, of course, but it's just adding on to and developing new products of my own. I think is really, really fun. Yeah. I think uh, a question a lot of creators probably get is like, oh, you have a YouTube channel, but what are you going to do like with this? And maybe there's a product, maybe there's an idea you have. And so yours has been the Not A Wheelchair Project, which I think is super unique and, and obviously very successful and on brand. Um, what does that operation look like for you? You mentioned you had a team for it, you have a warehouse for it. What What is happening mm -hmm. with that project? So we, I've been doing it for about two years now. Um, we launched our first off-road wheelchair, kind of made out of bike parts, and um, it's got four tires. And just it's like half the price of other off-road wheelchairs out there. Um, and that's kind of just been our goal is to take something that already exists, cut the price in half, make our own version, and then sell it. Um, and so now we have a warehouse in Orem, Utah, and probably... Four, 
full-time guys and then a couple part-time guys who are there running that facility and kind of like, you know, designing and working on our new projects. We have three different projects going at the same time right now. Um, and it's just super, super fun. Like YouTube's great, but like being able to incorporate a production and yeah. like manufacturing into it. And obviously I'm going to film the whole thing because that's what brings in the revenue to make the accessible equipment. Right. But super fun. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know enough about the specifically off-road wheelchair market, but I'm curious. So you, you've made essentially a design that you have people helping you put together over and over and then ship and then warehouse and things like that. Yeah, kind of. Our first our first um, off-road wheelchair is manufactured by a company named Utah Trikes, and they probably have like 40 or 50 employees, and they are the ones assembling that um, specific product. Mm-hmm. But the ones we're making in the future, that's where my team will start assembling those. Um, right now, we're just getting the, the all the equipment set up and the manufacturing kind of nailed down, um, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, I've enjoyed every single day of it so far. So, Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I'm like putting my Shark Tank hat on now. Like, okay, is there, <laughs> are you, there are other wheelchair, there are other off-road wheelchair competitors, I imagine, and you're, you're undercutting them all in price, but you have a, a design obviously that you've worked with. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, if you think about like a powered wheelchair, even like you've seen, you've seen those big track chairs, right? Like mm-hmm. you've seen videos of those on YouTube where there's a seat and there's two giant tank tracks on the side. Right. Like those things start at like $15,000. Oh, geez. And so, which is way outside of the realm of most people in wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. like 15 grand like if you're looking at a car you're looking at like a truck for that price and so most people just you know they don't buy an off-road wheelchair because the price is just too extreme for them and so our machine with its four tires and off-road capabilities is only five thousand dollars which is still expensive but way more reasonable than anything else that's out there right so that's there's when your shark tank hat is on there's not a lot of profit in there because my goal I don't want to take money from people in wheelchairs. I have other ways of making money. And the not a wheelchair business is just about accessibility and getting people out and exploring and stuff. That makes a lot of sense. I do remember Shark Tank pitch, which was pretty memorable, which was, uh, this is so off topic, but it was like a farmer who had a a really good product. And he was like, I think one of the sharks was like, why don't you charge 10 times the price for this? And he was like, well, I'm selling to farmers. So that's not really going to work. I'm just kind of doing this because it's the best product and they want to yeah. use it. And I feel like it's kind of similar. Like you you obviously can speak to the market and you've, you've used it and you know what's good for people who use off-road wheelchairs. So that's a, a bunch of advantages that a lot of people probably don't have. So you can make something really great for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm all for, you know, capitalism and making money and stuff like that. But I have plenty of other avenues of doing that. The wheelchair market doesn't need to be one of those avenues. Right. Um, I am curious though, how many... Am I, how many people are on the MKBHD team? How many people do you have? Because you just got a new warehouse as well, right? Like a new facility? Uh, about two years ago, we moved into this new space, yeah. So yeah. it is entirely around, it's entirely built around the, the channels and the videos and the production. So as of right now, it's 12. It is 12 total people for all, it's multiple channels now though. Like if you'd asked me a few years ago, yeah. what are what are you going to have 12 people doing? That wouldn't make any sense to me. But we have the main channel. We have right. this podcast that we're doing. We have the autofocus channel. We have all this this stuff going on and all products behind the scenes as well. 
Uh, so it is currently 12, which sounds crazy to say out loud. One thing I love about the autofocus channel is, I, if I remember correctly, you're using the phones you're reviewing to film that, right? Yes, that's that's what we've been doing. And I've been, it's been really positive feedback so far. The hardest part is actually audio. I don't know how much you shoot with your phone for your videos. I've seen, I feel like I've seen some iPhone shots in your videos, but uh, the iPhone wind. shots or Android shots? Oh, that's actually fair. What, I'll ask then, what yeah. phones have you used to sneak shots into videos? <laughs> Um, well, the reason I bring it up at all is because like, I love that you're using just a phone because like people always say, oh, I need a bunch of equipment to start a YouTube channel. But like, no, just use your phone. They're so good. Yeah. Um, but the phone that I currently use, obviously, and I'm on this uh, podcast with right now is just the Note 10 Plus. Mm -hmm. And so I've been using that for like three years. Yeah. Yeah. The, the hardest part has been audio and the wind when you shoot car stuff you're always outside mm -hmm. and the wind coming across that mic really messes with audio and dialogue. So I'm, I'm messing with some, some solutions, some external mics you can plug in things like that, that may work really well, but yeah, fully agreed. Like I've been telling people for years who ask, I get people in like middle school asking, like, I want to make a computer and a, a video set up so I can start my YouTube channel. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not how you start a YouTube channel just because you see people doing yeah. it now. Uh, yeah, shoot with your phone. There's, there's endless stuff you can shoot with just the camera in your pocket. It's really good. All right, we're gonna take one more quick break, but we'll be right back with Zach from Jerry Rig Everything. Support for this episode of Waveform comes from Gigabyte. There's a lot of talk out there about how AI is revolutionizing our world. Computers are writing newsletters, robotic bees are pollinating flowers, and a whole new wave of driverless taxis are popping up in cities all over the world. But how can AI power our passions and what we do for fun? That's where Gigabyte's AI gaming laptops come in. So their range of powerful and portable new laptops deliver cutting edge performance for anyone looking to explore the brave new world of AI powered gaming. So every 2024 Aorus machine comes equipped with the Gigabyte AI Nexus, which is like a central hub located with all the AI-powered features you could hope for. So that includes super useful tools like AI Power Gear, which automatically throttles and extends your computer's battery life depending on your power source and usage. You'll also get access to AI Boost, which optimizes performance based on what you're doing in that moment, whether you're ripping through an FPS or running your own large language model. AI Boost automatically adjusts the GPU and processors to maximize responsiveness and deliver unparalleled efficiency. Lastly, AI Generator includes various generative AI apps for quick startup, and all 2024 Gigabyte models seamlessly integrate with tools like OpenAI and Microsoft's Copilot AI chatbot. But the Aorus 16X and the Gigabyte G6X take it to the next level with a dedicated Copilot key, allowing users to swiftly tap into productivity and generative AI capabilities. I also keep hearing AI is going to change a lot in the gaming world. Andrew, can you think of anything about that? Not just optimization, like you said, but like more personal optimization I could see happening where like maybe you're playing a competitive game like Valorant and you want higher FPS and lower resolution. Like you, you're okay versus like The Witcher where you might want 4K crispy resolution and like a lower frame rate. I think finding that between your computer specs and what you want might help out a lot. Nice. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at oris.com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte, 
Team up, fight on. What uh? What is the future of, of this operation, this jerry-rig everything operation? You have the videos that you're making on YouTube. You have the not, you, well, you have the wheelchair and then you kind of have them like feeding into each other. Is there more growth plan for one or the other or both? Um, I used to be really scared of hiring people. Like I was always like, you know, I'm going to do everything myself. Like, you know, it's Jerry rig everything. Life is a do it yourself project. Like I need to handle every aspect of the whole business all by myself. But then I realized that like I can accomplish so much more when I have a team. And so I made that uh, realization probably like three years ago. So I've been expanding slowly, expanding my team so that they can like help take aspects of jerry everything giving me more time to like make content and stuff um and so i think that is going to be one of the things is expanding the team i think i'm still going to be um the main like obviously the script and the hands and the voice all that still has to be jerry everything yep. but i can delegate other portions of the the video making to people I want to do another EV project after I finish the Hummer. I think the Hummer has like another four or five videos in it before it's like done. Right. Um, and then I have some other big projects for Jerry Rig Everything. And then, yes, yeah, split my time 50-50 with the Not a Wheelchair Project and Jerry Rig Everything. You mentioned hiring. How do you decide what to hire and how to hire and what to hire for? Because you know, you, you, know you're, you just said it yourself. You know your voice, your hands, the script. That's you. But there's other parts of the video making process. Maybe there's behind the scenes. Maybe there's strategy. Maybe there's the books. What What do you decide to hire next? Um, I think it's people just making sure people have the right skill set. Um, when I started researching for the Hummer project, I realized that if I wanted to learn everything there is to know about constructing an EV, like I would be spending full time just researching on the internet. But if I found someone who could be there physically helping out with the project to answer questions immediately, it would cut the um, research time down exponentially. And so there, I had two guys helping me with the EV project. And so just finding people with the right skill set um, that are reliable. That's my hiring process. That's fair. And it's, it's usually pretty simple on the surface. And then you have to like really dig into the details of like, all right, how do we find this person? How do we make sure this person actually has the skill sets they need? How do we train them, integrate them into the team, all that sort of stuff? But I feel like if you have the the, the skeleton of what you require, then it's pretty easy to fill in and make it work. Uh, but yeah, it's like you got to... I wonder if you have any other like itching side project passions that you haven't been able to tackle yet. Because you, you do have a pretty vi a wide variety of interests. You've got a lot going on, but is there anything you haven't haven't done that you wish you were doing the one thing that caught me by surprise is when i went and toured that glass recycling facility um like that video got 10 million views and so i didn't think that like touring a recycling facility would be that entertaining i guess for people um but that's something i want to hit way harder but having said that i've reached out to probably five or six different similar recycling places and it is a lot of them don't want to show off what they're doing which is very interesting hmm. um even knowing 
like a lot of the times, like I'll reach out and say, Hey, I have this YouTube channel. We get X amount of views per video. And people are like, Oh yeah, let's do it. Um, but for some reason, it's been hard to find people who want to show off their recycling facilities. That but is, I think that, that's something I definitely want to branch into. Yeah. That's kind of a, is that a red flag that they don't want to show what they're doing, even though they're supposed to be doing one specific thing? Huh. That's fascinating. Like in here in Utah, we have someone who says they specifically recycle styrofoam, which I think would be fascinating. Mm -hmm. No response. Hmm. No phone calls, emails, nothing. Yeah. Super weird. You know, I have this series that I've done sort of occasionally where I tour other YouTubers workspaces. They're sort of studios, if you want to call it that. If I were to do yeah. one in the J-Rig Everything studio right now, what would that look like? I've seen some like wide shots. You've you got the overhead camera and the lights and everything and the monitor set up, but what does the setup look like? So imagine my house is on this property and we have like a mother-in-law building behind. And so that building's like my bed isn't in this room right now, but my computers are. Um, the buildings, so I work from home, but in that separate building. So I have one room for my computers and editing, um, one room where all my Jerry Rick knives are, since we fulfill those out of this um, building. Nice. Um, also like my Hummer shirts, my Jerry Everything shirts. And then I have a side room where I do like the top down video stuff. And then on my garage is next to that with the Hummer. Wow. So that's my studio. It's pretty compact. I mean, I, I obviously have a separate space, but you're, uh, you know, you stroll across the yard, you get, you get the work done and then you walk back across and you're back for dinner. Easy. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. Super great. Very short commute. Yeah, man. I, I also have one more question, which might be, I don't know how the logistics of how we'll pull this off, but I'm going to ask you anyway, which is how fast can you type the alphabet? Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of off the cuff, but the, the fun way of finding out is I have a link for you of a alphabet typing test. And this is actually something oh, no. okay. <laughs> something we ask everyone who comes on the podcast to do. Now, you're on your phone. I'll say if you're next to a okay. computer, this is definitely going to be easier on a computer because you have your keyboard. Uh, we am. would, yeah. So if you want to, if am you want to do this it, like right now, right now. Oh yeah, right now we're live, baby. We're gonna do a a. Or are we doing it? A three round. A three-round test, because this is a this is something where you probably need more than one chance to get your best score. All I ask of you is a screen okay. recording, and you give your your best three shots. All right, so type here, pro tip, press enter to restart. So just so ABC, when you EFG all the way to yep, you get all the way to Z, and then don't hit enter at the end. It'll just show you your score as soon as you hit Z, whatever your time was. Okay, let me see. Alt F9. Okay. Um, 8.9. Okay, 8.9. It's not Should bad. I go faster? What, do I know who the leader is right now? Well, so typically the first who's, chance is... Who's the fastest? Um... Should I tell you? I'll let you. I'll let you f get two more shots in. So the typically the first okay, shot, I'll the first shot's more. never the fastest one. So I bet you go under eight point nine. 
Alright, so if I reset... Six point six. Oh, see, that's way, way faster. You just moved way up the leaderboard. Way better, way better. Okay. Okay. One more time. Yeah. Okay. Oh no! Screw that. Nine point eight. Okay. <laughs> All right. So six point. Was it exactly six point six? Even. Yeah. Uh, 6.6 something. I'd have to look at the recording again. Okay, we've got a couple 6.6s on our leaderboard. I'll tell you, you're probably right around Mark Rober and Colin and Samir. Both got 6.6s. Good company, good company. That's pretty good. Zach, this has been fun. Hopefully uh, hopefully this is fun for you too. I imagine we'll have many more chances to speak and probably we'll end up at an event or two at some point. It'll happen. But uh, yeah. thanks for taking we the time to, to chat. A, a real life, we have to have a real life collaboration. I reached out to you right before the pandemic, um, and we were going to do the collab I reached out to you about, but then we got slammed with the worldwide virus. So yeah, we'll have to get back together and do that one again. 100%. I'm down. Sick. All right. Thanks again for chatting, man. Appreciate cool. it. Well, like I said, that was a fun one. Shout out again to Zach for the time and for answering all of my incredibly interested questions in all of the stuff that he does. Uh, yeah, it was really good. That I, I love that he has like all these different places, like his little space for shipping and also filming. And then he has like his garage and his warehouse for the Humvee stuff. And then he also yeah. has all the wheelchair things. I, I We haven't done a studio tour video in a long time. I would love to go out and see all his different places. I do, yeah. I, I want to bring it back. It was really fun. Also, there like it selfishly, it helps me like see things that I can adapt for our own studio. Oh, yeah. And I feel like anytime, no matter what type of videos somebody makes, anytime you visit someone's space, you go, oh, I should do that. So I, yeah, I'm super down. Maybe Zach's time to do that too. We can do a video there. Either way, that's been it for this week. Thanks for listening. It's still Techtember, which means you know what that means. It's just a lot more coming it's up. It's rolling, man. Lots more rolling in. So we'll see you very soon in the next one. Peace. Waveformers produced by Adam Molina and Ellis Rovin. We are partnered with Vox Media Podcast Network and our intro-outro music was created by Vane Sill. First take wonder. One take Let's wonder. Go.